I'm going to tell you what, church, that that song hits me. I can tell you if I speak from, from my, my point of view, from somebody who goes nighty to nothing all the time or so thinks that they have to, that sometimes it takes that mountain just to stop me, just to slow me down and give me to face some things that I normally wouldn't have faced. And as one that thinks that he has to have control over most everything, he sends that raging sea, you just find out just how much control you really have. Brother Barnes used to, he made a statement. Pray that your mountain be removed and when you get up from praying, if your mountain is still there, then climb it. Can't tell you how many times I've had to climb it, but God's always there to give us the strength to climb that mountain doesn't always calm the sea but as long as he calms us in the sea then it's that comfort that feeling of knowing that everything is going to be alright mm. glory to God there is no other place I would rather be than January the 1st of 2023 right here in the house of God fellow brothers and sisters whom I love dearly worshiping a God whom I serve and I owe it all everything I got to everything I want to go to the book of Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse number 1 While you're turning there, I want to give honor to my pastor. I appreciate my pastor. I appreciate his family. I give honor to him and his family. And I give honor to each one of you, my church family, as I love each and every one of you dearly. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. I want to read down through verse number 9. It says, Therefore, my brethren... Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I felt this in my spirit for quite some time, and I want to teach to you tonight. This is going to be more of a teaching than it will be anything else. But I want to teach show you on, on just this subject and this title, the, the God of Peace. The God of Peace. You can be seated. There's many things that I like about Paul, and I mean, Paul was a well-educated man, but Paul could talk to those who were highly esteemed, highly educated, but yet he could put it in a way that those of us like myself who are not very educated can still understand it. He could talk to both. He, he, was, he was very versatile in that, and, and, and having wrote half the New Testament, you might as well say, he's, and Philippians happens to be one of my my favorite books, and and matter of fact, one of my favorite scriptures is in chapter four. And uh, but when Paul starts this chapter four, it's one thing I like about him is, and I've not yet mastered this yet. But in verse number one, he he commends them before he starts commanding them. So he he expresses some of his his feelings first and. In verse number one, it says that my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, and that word beloved is is used by Paul to express his love for those those who he's talking to there in Philippi. And uh, the longed for is Paul telling them how much that he really misses them, how he, he longs to see them again. And and not only does he love them, and not only does he miss them, and he longs for them, and he's expressing these things to them, then he he refers to them as my joy and crown. And it would seem, as you read through this this letter of Philippians, this it it's just a common theme throughout the letter of of joy. And it would seem that they bring joy to Paul, as as he is referring to them as my joy, and he also refers to them as my crown. Now that word crown means, it, it comes from a, a Greek word, stephanos, which was a wreath or a garland that was worn around the, on top of the head. And it was worn of those who were victorious in, in Greek public games, athletic games that they would have. And uh, it was made of various materials, whether, you know, leaves, sticks, and flowers, and and such as that, and it was it was a sign of victory. It was also a sign of honor, and in some contexts, it's used that it was also a sign of authority. And what it was is Paul regarded this church at at Philippi as a high honor to have been the means of of founding such a church, and and so they were. He, he loved them. He expressed his love for them. He he. Re, expressed his how much he missed them and he longed for them and how much of it was as an honor 
to have have started this this church there. And the very next thing he says, stand so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now that stand fast means it comes from a Greek word that's called stiko, which means to stand firm or steadfast. It would be a word that would be used for a soldier that is standing firm in the heat of battle when the enemy is coming down upon him. Now, as I was studying through this, when I read that, that hit my spirit. Telling them to stand firm after he expressed his, his feelings towards them. Stand firm, church. There's, as a soldier would in the heat of battle where the enemy is breathing down his neck. Stand firm. In, in other words, don't be shaken by the problems that arise around you. Don't, you've got to maintain your spiritual position don't be wavered to the left or to the right don't don't compromise this gospel for any reason whatsoever I, I and, and and in a world that we live in right now where compromise seems to be the norm we the church need to stand firm in this gospel if there has ever been a time that we need to stand firm and hold true to this gospel that we love so dearly it's now it, 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 we, there, there's things that we can talk about and we can discuss things and, and some things really just truly doesn't matter. But it, when it comes to the things of God that are in between these two bindings, there's no discussion about it. There's no wavering. It's here in black and white and red. There's, we, there's no debating. If it says it here, that settles it. And so we, we shouldn't be debating amongst ourselves or the world as far as that's concerned about things that we know are true. We've got to hold firm. Well, I, it, it, and it amazes me, and, and I'm not fixing to get off on different religions. I could do that real quick, but I'm going to leave that alone and, and different denominations. But that's how all of them got started at some given point. There was some type of compromise somewhere down the line. We all started the same in the book of Acts. That's where the church was founded. We started there. From there throughout time, compromise was done. Here, a little there, and a little there, and a little there, and a little there. You, you crack the door just about that much, and before you know it, the door is slung wide open. Now, I know this is not very popular, but it's true nonetheless. The, the fact that there is just one God, there's, that's it. There's one. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture backs that there's simply just one God. There's, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We, we should hold dear to that we know that there's just one god there's not two there's not three there's not four or five or or however many it, there's one that's it we're, we're not confused about that we know that there's one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all through all and in you all we know that we should hold dear to that and and, and 
this Acts 2.38 message, this is something we've got to continue on. Hmm. Well, it's true nonetheless. I hold dear to it. I wasn't raised up in it. I didn't know this from years ago. I, I was on up a grown man before I was introduced and understood this. And I, I know what it's like out there, and I know what it's like here, and I hold this dear to my heart because I wandered around searching for things that would try to fill a void and never could fill a void. And until I got the Holy Ghost, was baptized by immersion in Jesus' name in water, by immersion, was filled with the Holy Ghost, I didn't. I would have searched the world over and never found anything to fill that void. But thank God, I had a pretty little lady that led me to this. Because had it not been for her, I wouldn't be here in this church. It's amazing what a woman can make you do in it. Go to a church that you didn't want to go to to start off with, but that's a different story for a different day. But here I am nonetheless. I thank her. I appreciate her for it. Had it not been for that, I'd have been lost. We move on to verse 2 and 3. It says, I beseech Euodia and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, these two women were, were two influential women in the Philippian church that, that Paul was instructed to work toward achieving an agreement. Now, evidently, they had had some type of disagreement between the two of them, and uh, it seemed to be causing some disunity in the church. And we don't know what the disagreement was, and it's really not relevant what the disagreement was. The problem is, is they had a problem between the two of them that they could not settle, and it was causing disunity. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that that when Paul was writing this, he had the, the second chapter of Philippians in mind when he was, was writing this as he was talking about being of one accord and of one mind. And, and the whole time he's writing this to these two women. And these two women must have been a, of great service in, in furthering this establishment in the Philippian church because in verse 3, it writes, he writes that, you know, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Now, if we reflect back on Acts chapter 16, we, we see where Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia, and the man was saying to, to come to Macedonia and help us. And Philippi was actually the chief city of that part of Macedonia. And after Paul and Silas had been to, at Philippi for a couple of days, on the Sabbath they went outside the city and uh, where there were a group of women on the riverbank having a prayer meeting. Now, if you read back in chapter 16, you'll see that. I'm just paraphrasing. And, and Lydia was, was a highly esteemed woman at that point in time. She was converted, and her whole household was converted. But the point of it was is there was a group of women on the riverbank having a prayer meeting. Now, I, I don't necessarily see 
it is strong here as I have other churches. But predominantly what I've seen throughout Pentecost is the women tote the load. I'm, I'm sorry. It, 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 it's just that way throughout a lot of churches. You'll see more women than what you do see men. And if you see equal amounts, you'll have more praying women than you have praying men. And I don't necessarily see that or feel that here. We're blessed. We've got equal across the board from what I've seen since I've been here. And that's a blessing because it's not like that everywhere. There's, there's a lot of places where, where the women are toting the load and, and having prayer meetings. And the men are just, I, I don't know what to do. They just do nothing. I, it's, it's pretty sad. I don't know how other way to put it. They just do nothing. It's, but we're thankful that we're part of a church where the men and women both pray. We all tote the load together. And that's what it takes. And that's, that's why we feel such a unity in this place. But in verse 3, Paul calls to upon a third party to help with this reconciliation between these two women. And obviously that is completely biblical. Now, if you look in the book of Matthew, the 18th chapter, Verses 15 through 17, it'll explain to you what to do in those situations where two people have disagreements. And you can read it at some given point of time just for the sake of time. I won't read it. I'll just paraphrase it. But in Matthew in 18, 15 through 17. But it, it tells you that if your brother have ought against one another, then go to each other. Go to each other and try to work it out there. If it does not work out there, then you seek one to two others as a witness and come together and see if it can be resolved there. If it's not resolved there, then you bring it in front of the church. Now, I've been a part of leadership at different church, and in most cases, the first step, it can be resolved. In most cases. And sadly to say, in most cases, when two people have trouble with one another or something, usually it's, it's just a big misunderstanding. Somebody misinterpreted or misunderstood what the other one said. And so usually it's resolved relatively, relatively quick. But I have been a part of the step two, where a couple of people are brought in to a situation and you try to resolve it there. Now, I thank God that every time that has happened with me being brought in on such as that, it was always resolved. And it wasn't because of me. It just it got resolved that way. Now, I have never been part of where it was brought before the church, but I have heard stories, and it generally doesn't come out very nicely. There's, there's usually some, some tough, hard feelings, and unfortunately it, it just doesn't work too good. But that's the biblical way to do it, and that's how it has to be resolved because that's what we have to follow. So he was doing this in the proper way, obviously, as, as we know Paul would, to try to resolve this, this argument between these, these two women. In verse 4, he jumps right over into rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, he's just instructing them on, on, on trying to create this or, or 
remedy this issue between two women that are having. And right off the bat, he's, you know, rejoice in the Lord always, right off the top. That, that word, you know, just keep on rejoicing in the Lord, despite what's going on, despite what's going around you, we have to keep rejoicing in the Lord, despite it. And, and that word always means at all times. If you look it up in the Greek, it means at all times. So that's pretty simple. You rejoice in the Lord at all times, whether they be good or bad times, whether no matter what you find yourself in, in the midst of, you've got to keep on rejoicing in the Lord because we know he's worthy. I mean, there's never a question of him being worthy of, of us rejoicing in him. It's, it's, we let ourselves get in the way, but anyhow. But rejoice in the Lord always, at all times, in all places, when everything's good and everything's turned upside down, it's, it's we always rejoice in the Lord. Now, I've, I've said it for years, and I'll, I'll keep saying it till I, I pass from this world, that there's two times that you need to praise God, when you feel like it and when you don't. And I dare say that the latter is probably the best time to praise him, is when you don't feel like it. And you, when you give that sacrifice of praise, then then there's generally an outcome that comes out of that that you don't generally always see praising him when you want to. So, and I know this has been touched on quite a bit as far as, as joy and happiness. And I'm not going to spend too long on it. Brother Stevenson has talked about it and it's been said many times, but I, I did feel it necessary to to bring it up briefly, and and I just want us to have an understanding of joy and happiness. And it seems elementary, and I know that, but I think there's there's times we get it mixed up. And happiness is it's an emotion. It, it's dependent upon our environment, our circumstances. That that's what it, it it's it's circumstantially driven. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, that's what type of emotion. And, and if it's something bad, you're obviously not going to feel the emotion of happy. So it's, it's more or less of a roller coaster ride at best because it's, it's based on your environment. Joy is a stability regardless of your circumstances. That, that's something that goes much deeper. It, it's an assurance in God regardless of things on earth because its source is in the continual presence of Jesus Christ. That That's where its source is coming from. And it, it's kind of reminded of that old song. Some of you may remember it, some of you may not. But, you know, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. It The world didn't give you that joy, so the world shouldn't be able to take it away from you. Verse number five. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word moderation means gentleness and reasonableness, consideration, patience. That's what that, that word moderation means. And if this was exercised within all churches, it would go a long way toward eliminating any type of disunity that exists within a church. If we would be considerate, if we would be patient, if we would be reasonable,
whole lot of issues would be resolved. And then he says, the Lord is at hand. And it still stands true today. I mean, our, our God is not governed by time like we're governed. Uh, we're, we're always on time schedules. We've got to do this by here. And, and we've got to be finished with this by then. And, and we're always in a, in a crunch for time. But God doesn't work like that. And it, it, I had an elder one time that explained time to me as far as God is concerned. And, and he used the scripture in, in 2 Peter 3 and 8 where uh, Peter is talking about one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. Well, if you use that scripture, and he kind of put it to me like this, and it, it made complete sense to me, made me see it in a way I've never seen it. But he said, if that be the case, which we know it is, the word of God says it is, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. To the Lord, as far as he's concerned, from the time he walked to earth, hadn't been about two days. Well, that, that kind of puts it into perspective. I never thought about it before. Because he's not governed by time. And so we move on to verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. The word careful means worry and anxiety. Anxiety and worry pulls us in so many different directions. You go to worry and you get anxious about something, you're, you're just, just all over the place trying to figure something out. I, I don't know what to do. But if we'll just go to God in prayer during these times, it'll take all those different directions and pull us into one direction. And the more you worry, the less you pray. The more you pray, the less you worry. I mean, it's just that simple. And, and worry does nothing more than question the very presence of God. Every time we feel any type of worry or anxiety, we need to see that as an alarm to get up and go pray. If, if we'll just let that be kind of alarm in our minds, when worry or anxiety comes about, just instantly stop what you're doing and just go pray. Then we'll be a whole lot better off. And it says we are to take everything to God in prayer. Everything. It, that means all things. We classify things into big things, little things, so forth. It's all the same to God. So whether it be something small, if you're going to buy a car, pray. I pray about every situation, everything. And, and, and obviously, prayer is a dialogue. When you pray, you've got to listen. You can't just and then walk off. Or you had not give God time to talk. So we need to take everything to God in prayer. But it says with thanksgiving, not, not just prayer, but with thanksgiving. And this goes beyond just expressing an appreciation for what God has provided but having an attitude of appreciation for whatever answer he gives. That's, that's where we struggle sometimes. And there, and there may be times that we ask for a specific outcome, but more than anything, we should desire his perfect will, whatever that is. And I have found out through my experience that in most cases, his will and mine are not the same. 
But when we are pray, as we're instructed to in verse number six, we get number seven. Verse seven says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. So if we will pray, as instructed in verse number six, we'll get that peace of God. That's that inward peace of the soul. That's that inward rest that comes from a complete and utter uh, dependence on an omnipotent and an omniscient God. And Paul writes that that peace of God shall keep our hearts or guard our hearts and our minds. And, and it passes all understanding, it, all comprehension. People can't understand how you can feel such peace in the midst of such turmoil. If I feel like every single one of us can go back and remember at least one good time. When you were in a situation, you had no clue of how it was going to come out. And you went to God in prayer. And you just felt that peace come all over you. Your circumstances hadn't changed. You hadn't got an answer or it wasn't resolved. But nevertheless, you felt a peace about it that you didn't feel before. So it, it, it wasn't a point of the storm moved. It's, it's one of those times where he calmed you in the midst of the storm. And there's nothing like the peace of God. Once that peace just overflows you, it, it's, there's no words really that I can use to express how it feels. If you felt it, you know. If you hadn't felt it, you ain't lived for God very long and you hadn't prayed in the midst of a circumstance. That's all I can tell you because if you pray in the midst of a problem and you're going to have them, you're going to feel that peace of God come in. So the peace of God is not governed by any of the problems or circumstances or, or anything like that. And I'm having a rush because I've got a lot more in a short time. Uh, verse number eight. Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, good report, if there be any virtue or any of their praise, think on these things. Think on those things, that those things that are that are, are true, that are honest, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, or of a good report. That's when that peace of God comes over you, think on those things. And you know, right thinking doesn't just happen. It doesn't just magically appear. Right thinking is the result of filling our hearts and mind with the Word of God. It, it's not just going to magically happen. Uh, it's, we don't want to lose that peace of God that he's given to us. So to prevent that, Paul says to dwell or think on those things, focus on those things and and one of the reasons why we don't keep that peace is we allow our minds and our thoughts to gravitate to things that are the opposite of peace and so if we continue to entertain those things that are the opposite of peace and worry and anxiety are soon to come back finally verse number nine as I rush to a close before the time runs out those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. 
Paul's life was an example of what he preached as it should be. He wasn't just a point of him proclaiming the truth, but he, it was a demonstration of the truth as well. And so he was saying those things that you've learned, received, heard, that you've seen in me, do that. Do those. And, and the Philippians were to handle things the way that Paul had handled things. You know, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. More or less, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And, and he demonstrated that. Uh, I mean, while he was in prison, instead of worrying, he praised God. Uh, I mean, it, it went hand in hand. He didn't just talk it. He walked it. And that's what we've got to do. Y'all stand with me. If you put these, these nine verses into one statement, this is what I got out of it. When we have unity and we're rejoicing and we're praying and we're dwelling on the right things, we don't just have the peace of God but we have the God of peace. We get his peace and we get his presence if we will do those things. Unity, rejoicing, praying, dwelling on the right things. That peace of God will overwhelm us and when we apply these things, that presence of God will overflow us. We don't just get the attributes, we get his own being, his presence Let's lift our hands. God, we praise you and we thank you tonight, God. And we just, we just magnify your name, Lord. Lord, we just thank you and we have high expectations for what this year is going to bring, God. And we just give you praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. And let us clap our hands to the Lord one good time. And fellowship one with another until we transfer to our main service.